You're listening to the American Journal of Perinatology podcast, hosted by Dr. Bill Goodnight and Dr. Chris Robinson. Each month, we take an in-depth look at a paper published in the American Journal of Perinatology. Welcome to another edition of the American Journal of Perinatology podcast series. Today, it is my pleasure to welcome Dr. Michelle Kaminarik from Northwestern University on behalf of her co-authors to discuss their study, which was conducted at the University of Illinois, Preventing Maternal Morbidity from Obstetric Hemorrhage, Implications of a Provider Training Initiative. In this study, the authors examined the occurrence of severe morbidity due to obstetrical hemorrhage and its prevention in relationship to application of a training initiative on obstetric hemorrhage. Recognizing the impact of obstetric hemorrhage, in 2008, the state of Illinois developed a provider training program to improve the recognition and management of obstetric hemorrhage among obstetric providers. This study was a retrospective analysis of obstetric hemorrhage to determine the influence of the provider educational initiative on the number of severe morbidity cases due to hemorrhage and the potential preventability of these cases. The authors compared cases in 2006, prior to the initiative, and in 2010, after the initiative. Cases were selected based on maternal intensive care unit admission or transfusion of greater than or equal to three units of blood products. Cases were determined to have preventable factors based on provider, system, or patient factors. The authors compared 64 cases in 2006 with 71 cases in 2010. Between the two time periods, there was no difference in occurrence of severe morbidities and no difference between the patients in these time periods. Potentially preventable occurrences did not differ between the time frames. However, the preventable factors attributed to failure to offer preventative treatment or delay in assessment of the patient, inappropriate delayed or failure of treatment, and factors associated with policies and procedures all declined from 2006 to 2010. Overall, the authors describe a reduction in preventable factors related to provider diagnosis and treatment of hemorrhage, an improvement in system policies and procedures due to the intervention. However, provider factors remain the most common preventable factors related to severe hemorrhage. Dr. Komen-Eric, thank you very much for joining us today to further review your findings. For your group, what was the underlying motive and goals for undertaking this study? Hi, thanks for inviting me to participate today. Our group has been working on these types of projects for many years, and I'd say that we were impressed by the amount of obstetric hemorrhage and maternal morbidity and mortality and how much of it has been described as potentially preventable. Because of prior findings, in 2009, the state of Illinois undertook a large project whereby almost 50,000 providers were trained to recognize hemorrhage through a extensive training program. And as a result of that training program, we wanted to know its impact. So with all the training that the providers accomplished during this year, did it have an impact on maternal morbidity and whether or not the morbidity was preventable? That program sounds very interesting. Can you describe some of the components and goals of the Provider Educational Initiative in Illinois enacted by that Perinatal Network's Continuous Quality Improvement Program? The program had essentially four components, and the first was a benchmark validation test, more commonly known as a pretest, just to get an assessment of where providers were coming into the training program. 
The second part was a didactic lecture, which was a series of presentations given by multidisciplinary individuals focused on overall statistics, the diagnosis and treatment of hemorrhage, and a discussion section. The third part was a skill station where each and every provider went through a series of stations where they were asked to estimate the amount of blood loss. And these examples were given with either soaked peripads or a specific volume of fluid in containers, and they were asked to estimate that. And then lastly, we did uh, simulation drills with, again, a multidisciplinary team at each of the hospitals. And in cases where hemorrhage actually occurred, providers of the team performed a debriefing as well. Do you know what types of changes were enacted by OB providers following this educational initiative? Yeah, in general, I'd say that there were some universal changes that were made across our perinatal network, and one was that every hospital in the network developed what's called a rapid response team. These teams were trained to respond to hemorrhage, and then morbidity mortality reviews of either ICU admissions and or blood transfusions greater than three units are reviewed on a regular basis. Based on feedback we've gotten from individual sites, there have been additional changes two policies and protocols at each of the sites, and these include examples such as EBL or estimated blood loss timeout. In some of the status boards where patients are listed with their status in labor, some of the sites have put up a yellow H letter next to the patient's name just to identify them as being at risk for hemorrhage. And then we've also included uh, members of the blood bank in our simulation process, which uh, wasn't part of the initial training program. How were you able to get all these different groups to have buy-in to undertake this program? And what percentage of the OB providers in that area or your region that you tried to outreach to do you think were invested and participated in this initiative? It took a lot of time and effort and planning on many levels. Part of what made it successful is that it was mandated by the Illinois Department of Public Health and also with a buy-in from the State of Illinois Maternal Mortality Review Committee. We took many steps to ensure that all providers, not just obstetricians and gynecologists, but anesthesiologists and family medicine and nurse midwives and nurses, anyone who's directly involved in the obstetrical care of a patient, were required to complete the training. So we would uh, check in routinely with either scheduled meetings in person or uh, teleconference with status updates on provider completement of the steps for this program. At the end of the, the year, 2009, you know, we had received notice that uh, everyone in each of the hospitals that was required to complete the training had done so. And even though we can't be 100% sure that every single person had completed the training to the best of our ability, everyone completed the training. So then it came time to review the effects of this initiative. When you were designing this study, what were your primary hypotheses when you were designing this study? So we thought, based on this large training program that all providers had participated in, that a couple things would happen. The first is that the number of severe maternal morbidity cases would decrease. And then secondarily, because of the nature of the training, that at a minimal, at least provider and system-related factors would improve as it related to potential preventability of the hemorrhage. 
So in this study, again, you wanted to look at two things. One is the goal was to see if this intervention reduced the number of episodes of severe hemorrhage and then look to see if the cases that were still present, if these were preventable cases. Yeah, it's just uh, I would say not so much whether or not the hemorrhage was preventable, but whether the continuum of the morbidity was preventable. So the hemorrhage itself may or may not have been preventable, but that's kind of a separate question. But more specifically, we're looking at whether the morbidity resulting from the hemorrhage was preventable. How was preventability defined? So in general, preventability was defined as an action or inaction, either on the part of the healthcare provider, the system, or the patient that may have caused or contributed to the progression along the line of morbidity to either more severe morbidity or, in some cases, death. So in this study, potential preventability was determined by uh, what you described as the Geller preventability model. What is this model, and how is it used in this study? The Geller model incorporates a couple of factors, and initially what it does is whether or not the morbidity was preventable or not, and then it also, in cases where the morbidity was not preventable, the case is also evaluated whether or not improvement of in-care was needed. And then the model goes through a checklist of 12 different factors that are related to either how the patient got into care, for example, if they didn't have access to care or, or delayed in seeking care, well, whether or not their high-risk status was diagnosed or recognized, whether there was a referral to an expert such as a maternal fetal medicine specialist, whether there was a delay or inappropriate treatment, and then several other factors such as hierarchy and management. So in hospitals where there are residents that are also involved in the care of patients, you know, whether or not they were adequately supervised, whether or not there was appropriate education amongst the providers, nursing, and other staff, policies and procedures, which are primarily systems-related, such as being ready for emergencies and having patient education available. And then lastly, topics such as documentation, which would frequently come up in our case reviews, whether or not the documentation was adequate or, in many cases, just not documented at all. The last sets of factors include those related to patients, so perhaps there was a belief system that prevented them from receiving blood products or other treatments that are standard of care and hemorrhage that led to the morbidity. Each of these factors were assessed whether or not it was related to the provider, the system, and the patient in terms of preventability of the morbidity. How did you define morbidity related to severe hemorrhage? We identified cases in terms of morbidity by a two-factor scoring system, and that was either an admission to the intensive care unit or a transfusion of at least three units of blood products. Over the course of this study, where you evaluated cases of severe morbidity from postpartum hemorrhage before enacting this provider initiative, training initiative, and afterwards. What happened to the morbidity from severe hemorrhage before and after the intervention? What we found is that the rate of severe maternal morbidity prior to the training program, and that was taken from cases in 2006, 
was 0.32%. And then when we looked at the data after the training initiative, it increased slightly to 0.41%. So there was a slight increase in occurrences of severe maternal morbidity, but the differences in the two time periods were not statistically significant. The other part was then looking at the potential preventable factors that led to the morbidity. Did you see differences in the preventable factors before and after the intervention? So in terms of overall preventability, looking at the 12 different items in the model and the different types of provider, patient, or system factors, we did not see any differences between the two time periods. But then when we looked more specifically at provider factors, we found that there was a significant decrease in factors related to provider assessment and treatment, although these still remained the most common reasons for potential preventability. We didn't find any changes in patient factors, but we also did find uh, that system factors, especially related to policies and procedures, decreased between the two time periods. So it sounds like the biggest impact was on changes in potential interventions the providers could make that would reduce the morbidity from the hemorrhage as well as system-related effects. Could you describe some of the specific provider or specific system influences or changes that may have shown a difference in, in affecting morbidity over this time course? Well, in terms of provider factors, we suspect that as a result of the training that the providers completed, they uh, were better able to assess hemorrhage, so for example, more accurately assess blood loss and potentially diagnose and treat it earlier. Perhaps there were fewer delays um, in assessing patients, again, not directly measured um, from the study, but along the lines of um, knowing how, how to treat hemorrhage, they just would have been better prepared to recognize, diagnose, and treat hemorrhage. In terms of system factors, uh, we suspect that there is better communication, for example, between providers and patients or between providers and nurses about the hemorrhage as a result of participating in the blood loss training sessions and drills as a group. And then, you know, many hospitals after the training initiative changed their policies and other system-wide practices. For example, you know, the rapid response teams, so there may have been better communication between providers and blood bank facilities to, for example, have blood products readily available. What do you think are some of the most important take-home messages from your study directed at sort of obstetric provider groups or hospital systems that manage these kinds of patients? I think one of the more important points relate to the provider. And when you compare the two years' worth of data that we did in the study, provider factors completely predominated the preventable factors for morbidity. So moving forward, it's still an important group to target as it pertains to education and training. Yet we believe that the training itself, even though overall preventability didn't change, one of the biggest impacts we saw was with the providers. So the decrease in provider-related factors as it relates to assessment and treatment significantly declined. And that's an important point to take home from this study in that it is possible to make an impact with a training program that specifically targets providers.
Were you surprised that the morbidity related to severe hemorrhage didn't change over this time course? So, you know, we hypothesized that if anything it would get better, but part of the limitation is that we compared one year's worth of data, uh, one year from 2006 and one year from 2010, and we did that specifically based on the prior study that took the cases reported in 2006. But again, it was just occurred one year after the training initiative, so had we looked further beyond the date of the initial training into 2011-2012, we might have seen a, a different impact in severe morbidity cases. When we're talking about provider factors that didn't change, that were potential preventable factors that have an effect on the morbidity related to severe hemorrhage. Was your data able to sort of tease down what some of these provider factors were, such as not ordering medications timely, not recognizing severity of transfusion? Within the, the model that we used to evaluate either diagnosis or recognition problems, we are able to more specifically determine where the issue lies, and with each case review, those specific uh, reasons were discussed, whether it was uh, delay in ordering or checking lab results, or a delay in recognizing abnormal vital signs, or delay in recognizing surgical complications. So that is all abstracted and, and recorded in the model, but not all the specific details were necessarily reported in the manuscript. Do you have recommendations as to how other obstetric provider groups or hospitals can use the information you gained in this study? I think it needs to be on an individual basis. Most of the networks that participated in this particular study were from an urban environment, and many of them were teaching hospitals. So the four components to the training and education session could be completed at nearly any hospital with, you know, adaptations for the individual circumstances at that hospital. I think one of the more important aspects of the training program is that it, regardless of where it's done at, that it definitely needs to be multidisciplinary and not just focused on obstetric or obstetricians because other members of the team are just as critical, such as um, nurses, midwives, anesthesiologists, and um, members of the blood bank. I think you could make a case that this intervention program certainly had an impact on the system response to hemorrhage and its reduction in, in severity. Uh, and it sounds like policies and procedures and, and rapid response teams and hemorrhage bundles and that kind of thing can grow out of a system-wide approach to this issue. And it seems as though your data suggests an improvement over time from this initiative to that system approach. Yes, we did demonstrate that in addition to provider factors, that system factors also decreased over the two time periods. I think your authors, you and your study group, can be commended on following up a study to show that this actually works. There's such a push towards creating high-risk pregnancy bundles and, and systematic responses to some of these high-risk conditions that can lead to maternal and neonatal morbidity that it's good that we're not only implementing these changes, but we're actually systematically evaluating them to see where we can continue to improve and evaluate what works and what needs more fine-tuning. 
does your group have further plans for studying this area or what's next for you guys? We've also evaluated uh, the program from other perspectives in terms of the benchmark assessment test. We've evaluated provider knowledge before and after the training program and have also evaluated preventable morbidity with respect to the level of the hospital. So we've evaluated the training program on many levels so far. Some of our next steps are to implement not necessarily the training program for hemorrhage, but to look at severe maternal morbidity on a statewide basis and have it become more of a requirement with greater involvement on all levels to review more systematically cases of severe paternal morbidity. Well, Dr. Common, Eric, thank you very much for joining us today, and we wish you uh, the best of luck as you continue to investigate down this avenue of study. Thanks again for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me to participate. That was the American Journal of Perinatology podcast. Thank you for listening. To find out more and to read this month's highlighted paper, go to www.tima.com forward slash AJP or check out our Facebook page at facebook.com AMJ Perinatology. If you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us on iTunes and join us next month when we will discuss another paper from the pages of the American Journal of Perinatology. Perinatology.